0: And when eight days had passed before his circumcision, his name was then called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days for their purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord... Every firstborn male that opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, looking for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought the child Jesus to carry out for him the custom of the law. Then he took him into his arms and blessed God and said, Now Lord, you are releasing your bond servant to depart in peace, according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light of revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. And his father and mother were amazed at the things which were being said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rise of many in Israel, and for a sign to be opposed. And a sword will pierce even your own soul to the end that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then as a widow to the age of eighty-four. She never left the temple, serving night and day with fasting and prayers. At that very moment, she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. When they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. The child continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him.
1: day again, I'm Dave, and uh, it's my privilege to be able to walk us through the passage that we just heard today. When I say the word consolation, what comes to your mind What are the kind of thoughts that emerge for you? Take a moment to think about it. Possibly uh, you're someone who thinks about a person going through a hard time, uh, but they're being comforted in some kind of way. That's not where my mind goes. My mind, as you probably saw in the kid's spot, it goes to sports straight away. So I think of a team who's getting the runner-up prize, Uh, I think of the losing team, they might, you know, uh, be saying to another person something like, "Uh, we didn't win, but the only consolation is that the other team were a pack of cheaters. That's where my mind goes, which might just say something about me. But today we're going to see, we're going to hear about Jesus and how he is the consolation. But it's not the kind of consolation that uh, comes to my mind. It's more like the one Uh, when I was in Tasmania one night. I was staying at a house with a group of mates, and in true Tasmanian fashion, it was super cold. Everyone was getting ready for bed, and I thought, I'll just duck outside, make a quick call, Uh, and that was all good. But then when I went to come back in, the door was locked. I knocked a few times. I tried calling all of their mobiles. Nobody answered me. It wasn't good. It was cold. So I thought, oh, I've got the keys to my car. You know, maybe I'll just go into the car and try and sleep. But that was terrible. Yeah, people are laughing, and for good reason. It was horrible. After a few hours of suffering in this giant esky, I thought, I'm going to give it one more crack. So I slowly went back to the door. I knocked one more time, and to my delight, somebody heard me. They let me in. And in that moment, I have to say, I was just over the moon. I could have screamed with joy. Uh, but everyone was asleep apart from this person who I woke up. So instead, I went to my bed. And I have to tell you, in that moment, when I was under that warm duna in that nice, cosy house, that was a great consolation for me. Now, it's a pretty token example. But actually... What we're going to see today is that Jesus, as the consolation, he follows that kind of pattern. He comes after a period of waiting and hardship, and when he's received, it leads to rejoicing. Let's get into the passage together. So in our story today, a bit of background, Jesus was born 40 days ago. The shepherds, they've gone to everyone, they've told the good news, uh, and the angels, Have sung their song. So, Mary and Joseph, they're now taking a trip to to Jerusalem uh, to visit the temple there. And they're doing this to satisfy uh, the Israelite laws, particularly uh, for Mary after giving birth. uh, This is a way for her to be ceremonially made clean. And uh, they're also presenting Jesus uh, to God as their firstborn. But when they enter this temple, They're met by by two interesting characters. Their names are Simeon and Anna. And we'll spend most of our time today uh, looking at Simeon and what he had to say. From verse 25, uh, we learn a few interesting things about this guy. The first is that he's righteous and devout. What that means is that he's a guy who treats God the way he should be treated, and he treats other people the way they should be treated. The other thing is that the Holy Spirit is on him. And what this means is that God's got a special purpose for this guy. And when he talks, he's someone who's actually worth listening to. But most importantly, uh, we see that Simeon, is waiting for the consolation of Israel. And actually, this is a consolation God promised uh, he would see before he died. And this brings us to our first point. Jesus is Israel's consolation. So as Mary uh, and Joseph, they enter the temple, uh, this guy, Simeon, moved by the Holy Spirit, he comes up to them. And uh, when he sees Jesus, he takes him in his arms and praising God, he says to him in verse 29, Sovereign Lord, as you promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. It's quite an extreme thing to say, isn't it? I mean, imagine for a moment you've got kids and you're taking them for the food shopping when this complete stranger, he comes up to you, grabs your kid, holds him up and says, now I can die in peace, and then runs away again. You know, it's, it seems a bit bizarre. But what initially seems a bit over the top, we actually see is a completely justified response. He says to God, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. You see, at the time these events took place, Israel, they were going through a, a bit of a rough patch. In fact, that's an understatement. They had a really tough time. For the last 400 years, they, not, nothing good had happened really. Like they were just going through the worst of it. And at the moment, They're under the rule of the Romans who are a nasty group of people, and they mistreated them. But God promised that he'd send a saviour to the Israelites, a person who would lead the Israelites out of this suffering to become become God's great nation. And Simeon's saying that Jesus, he is that saviour. This boy, he is going to be Israelite saviour. God promised this would happen. But can you imagine being in Simeon's shoes in this moment? It must have been an incredible moment. All that time when he was waiting on this promise. If it was me, I could imagine there'd be moments where I might question God. Uh, I might even wonder, will he follow through on this promise for his people? But what we'll see is that Simeon, he's a great example of someone who's patiently trusting in God and allowing this to shape everything he does. We'll come back to this a little bit later on. And ultimately, Simeon's justified, isn't he? As he's holding Jesus in his hands, he describes it like looking at salvation. And so he says to God, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. It's an amazing moment. Now, if you're like me in hearing this, uh, you might just naturally kind of read yourself in this story. You know, we're like Simeon, and as we're holding Jesus, we're receiving him too. Uh, But we've got to remember, first and foremost, uh, Jesus, he was the consolation for the Israelites. In fact, he even describes it in our passage, uh, Jesus being the glory of God's people, Israel. Now, looking around the room... I can't see too many Israelites here. And that being the case, you know, where do we actually fit into this story? Well, as we keep listening to Simeon, we learn that although Jesus fulfills God's promise to the Israelites, we're also wrapped up in this promise too. Which is why we can say Jesus is our consolation. This brings us to our second point. So, in verse 32. Simeon says that Jesus is the salvation, which is a light for the revelation to the Gentiles. Gentiles is just a title uh, given to people who aren't Israelites in this time. So Simeon's saying that the fact that uh, Jesus is the consolation for Israel, that's also great news for everyone else. And as we look... Um, As we take a little look through the Bible, you'll see this coming up time and time again. This was always God's, uh, his intention. He always intended for everyone to get wrapped up into this promise. So back in Genesis, the first book of the Bible, God made a promise to this guy named Abraham, whose descendants would become Israel. And he said to Abraham that he'd bless him and his descendants, but also, that through them, the whole world would be blessed. they would be a blessing to everyone. And this idea, uh, it's, it's taken and explored and developed over and over again in the Bible. For instance, uh, in Isaiah chapter 60, uh, we hear the prophet Isaiah. He describes this uh, darkness, a, a thick darkness covering the whole earth. But then the glory of the Lord, it appears. And suddenly, nations from all over the world, they're freed from this darkness as they come into the light. God always intended to bring us into his promises, to be in relationship with him as his people, and he's fulfilled it through Jesus. That's why we can say that Jesus He's not just the consolation for Israel, but for all of us, for all who trust in Him. So can I ask then, what sort of things today do we need consoling from? We're not in the same situation as the Israelites, but we're still in a pretty messy world, aren't we? I reckon there's any number of things uh, that you might come up with. For me, I reckon work is a big one where you see it. Uh, So often work can just feel like this giant burden, Uh, the work you're doing is unsatisfying, Uh, the people can just be frustrating, and I can just be taxing. Or maybe it's not the work itself um, that you need consoling from, but actually not getting it in the first place. Relationships is obviously another one. Uh, As great as they can be, so often it can be a source of pain and heartache, can't it? When our friends let us down uh, or spouses might um, break our trust or mistreat us, there's any number of things we need consoling from today. When faced with these issues, what's our instinct? Where do we naturally go to? Hobbies, friends, family, Netflix, alcohol, achievements, the list can just go on, can't it? Some of these things are better than others but none of them are good enough. They're not the consolation we need. Only God can provide this. And he does. He does it in Jesus, our Savior, the one who consoles us from the darkness. Coming back to Isaiah 60, that imagery there, we see this thick darkness covering the earth. What this is really capturing is... Uh, People's rejection towards God, both in their hearts, in their minds, and then the mess, the chaos in the world that results from that. And in fact, those things we talked about, work, relationships, uh, all of these things, they're all symptoms of a world which is out of step with its maker, a world that's in darkness. And God says, that's not okay, He's not okay with us cutting him out of the picture as our maker. He's not okay with the dysfunction that results in his world. So as a just God, he says he will deal with this. But the incredible news for us is that Jesus, he makes a way for us to come into the light. And he doesn't, surprisingly. Surprisingly by embracing the darkness. Notice at the end of verse 35, Simeon says to Mary that a sword will pierce her own soul. Mary witnessed uh, Jesus suffer in many ways, her son, but the greatest of these by far was watching him be nailed to a cross and left there to die. Can you imagine uh, being Mary and witnessing this happen to your child? It must have been horrible, like a sword piercing her soul. And as he hung on the cross of the only truly good man to walk into this world of darkness, he received no consolation, but instead he embraced that full punishment that we deserve for our opposition to God. And so he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But that wasn't the end of this story, was it? Because three days later, he rose to new life, conquering death and showing us the kind of life that we can have. Jesus willingly went through all this. He embraced our darkness so that all who humbly put their trust in him, can come out of that darkness and into a renewed relationship with God. Jesus really is the great consolation, first for the Israelites, but then for all of us. Now, if you're someone who's a follower of Jesus, uh, then you know how awesome this consolation is for all of life. It just permeates out into everything we do. I remember a while ago, I was working as a lawyer, and I was going through a pretty hard patch. Uh, The work was frustrating. As uh, the people, you know, they were they were complicated, and each day it just felt like a struggle. But one particular morning, Maddie obviously picked up on this, and one particular morning, uh, she had a couple of gifts for me. The first. Uh, was these two pictures. So they were in picture frames. Uh, These are a couple of uh, happier moments that we've had. It's our wedding day. And I have to say, you know, when I was at my desk and I had these, uh, even when I was frustrated when I looked at that, you know, it just brought a smile to my face. But I have to say, as great as that was, uh, the second present was a greater... The second present was a greater consolation. It was cards just like this. The reason um, reason it was such a consolation was because on these cards, uh, Matt had written a bunch of uh, different Bible verses. And so each morning as I arrived at my desk, I'd start the day by looking at one of these passages. The first one that comes to mind for me is Lamentations 3. Uh, This is a book uh, where God's people, they're going through another hard patch. Uh, Much of this is because of what they've done, actually. Um, And yet, despite this, we see God's character. Uh, In verse 21 of this chapter, we see, we hear these words. Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, We're not consumed, for his compassions never fail us. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It's verses like this uh, that reminded me of the great consolation I have in Jesus. And you know, when things were hard, remembering that, that was a huge comfort for me. It helped me get through those moments. On Friday, um, I was at a funeral for a guy named Ian Bartlett. Some of you, you guys would have been there too. I know many people knew him. He was was in his late 70s when he passed away and he was a dead set legend. He was brilliant. Growing up, I remember we used to go to his house. A number of years we did this and he'd just have these huge bonfires that just went all day. We used to love just finding more wood and chucking it on, seeing how big we could get it. Uh, sometimes as well after church, we'd all go out to a cafe and he'd just shout us everything. You know, we'd have milkshakes and wedges. and It was, um, it was good fun. And as I was, I was at the funeral and looking around and just seeing this guy, he just impacted so many lives. But in the last year or so, really, he was a shadow of himself. His body... <clears throat> His body and his mind had failed him. And it's a, it's a strange feeling being there. But I took great comfort, and I still do, in knowing uh, that Ian has now passed away. It's strange, but the reason why I can have this is because the reason we can have this is because when Ian was 23 years old, for the first time, he realized the darkness in his own life, how he had how he'd mistreated God how he hadn't given him the honor he deserved in his life. And so he threw himself on the mercy of Jesus. Jesus is Ian's great consolation. And it's of eternal significance. He's now with his maker for all time with a new body and he's got a new mind that will never fail him. It's an incredible consolation, isn't it? And yet, as we continue to listen to Simeon in our story today, we hear that although Jesus is a great consolation for all people, he's not the consolation for every person. That brings us to our final point, that Jesus is the consolation we cling to and we rejoice in. In verse 34, Simeon's talking to Mary when he says this about Jesus. This child... He's destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. These are confronting words, aren't they? Jesus, he's not just going to bring people up who humbly trust in him, but he's also going to bring people down. And as we see, as we read on, we hear that the key to this is people's hearts. In verse 34, we see that Jesus will be a sign of, They'll be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Through Jesus, people's hearts, they're actually exposed. Now, as we saw before, if you go to a footy game, uh, you, see, you see the people cheering for one team, booing for the other. It's their actions, right, which reveals their heart. It reveals the team they love, and it reveals the team that they despise. The Stephen team, <laughs> but but it's hard. It's hard wrestling with this, isn't it? You know, when I think about my friends, and when the topic of Jesus comes up, they respond in any any number of different ways. You know, for some of them, they can be aggressively opposed. You know, and you think, "Oh yeah," like they really do hate Jesus. But some, you know, they're actually interested. They want to look into it more. And then for others, uh, they just get a bit awkward. They become really polite. And they're just holding out for the conversation to end. You know, there's any number of different reactions. It's not, it doesn't feel like a footy game type scenario. It's because of this, I can find myself thinking, "Oh, maybe the, God will treat them on a scale, you know? He'll have different ways to treat each person. But what, what we're seeing here in these words is that there's no neutral territory when it comes to Jesus. To not be for Jesus, is to be against Jesus. And it reveals your heart towards God, the inner darkness we're looking at. It's why if you're here today and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus... You need to hear the urgency of this. Right now, whether you know it or not, you're living a life that's not for God. And if this keeps going, there is a fall. But it doesn't have to be that way. As we saw before, if you humbly put your trust in Jesus, in what He has done, God will raise you up into a right relationship with Him. It's amazing news. And, you know, if... If you haven't yet gone to that point, keep exploring this. Keep exploring Jesus. There's a couple of ways, Scott mentioned before, that you can do that. Uh, Come back again next Sunday. We're going to be kicking off that four-week series, The Big Questions for God. Um, That's just a great way to keep wrestling with your questions uh, and keep looking into Jesus more. The other way uh, that Scott mentioned is that Life Series. That's starting in Feb. Uh, I've been to one before. It's great. You know, it's a relaxed environment. People can just bring their questions, wrestle with them. There's good food, good people. Why not think about going to one or both of those things? Keep looking into Jesus. But if you're someone here today and you've already put your trust in Jesus, what's our response? How do we respond today? Well, coming back to our passage, I reckon Simeon, he's an excellent example of how to respond two things that he does which really stand out he rejoices in jesus as his great consolation and he clings to this mercy when simeon sees jesus for the first time he can't help it praise just pours out of him doesn't it you know and we saw it's completely justified I remember when I was younger, and I watched one of the Crows' premiership wins, it was a great moment, I was with my family at, at home, and after the game, uh, we just went outside for a walk, and it was, it was a pretty um, incredible moment too. Like, we just saw the whole neighbourhood come out, strangers were just high-fiving each other, patting each other on the back, all these cars were going 10 k's an hour with their flags hanging out, tooting their horns every two seconds. It was a huge celebration. Well, this is the kind of rejoicing that we see in Simeon, but times 100, it's a hundred, it's a huge, uh, it's an incredible amount of rejoicing. I reckon if, if Simeon had a car right now in, in Jerusalem, he'd just take it out for a spin. You know, He'd go 10 k's an hour tooting his horn at all the Israelites, saying, the Messiah is here. That's the kind of rejoicing that we've got here. And as we approach the new year, how are we going to cultivate that kind of rejoicing in our own lives, in each other? Maybe it's just coming back to the basics. Carving out time in your day uh, to sit under God's word. Let him speak into your life. Maybe it's making more time uh, for your Christian friends just to spend time with them, encourage one another, remind each other of the hope we have in Jesus. There's any number of ways... Uh, we can do this as we approach the new year. But ultimately, key to this is we keep clinging to Jesus as our great consolation. And then allowing this to shape everything we do. And once again, Simeon, he's a great example to look to. When Simeon sees Jesus for the first time, he clings to him, doesn't he? He says, This is the Messiah. He really does. He literally clings to him. But just as significant are the years leading up to that moment. The moments uh, when he was waiting, when things might have been harder, in those moments he was still clinging to God's promise of salvation. And he was living his life in a way that reflected this. It could have been hard at times, but he kept faithfully trusting in God knowing his character, knowing what he will do. And this is what we're called to do today. In a couple of weeks' time, Maddie and I, uh, we're going to be moving across to Sydney. We're going to study at Moore College there. If you're around, by the way, come around. We'd love to see you, have a cuppa. I have to say, being around you guys the last few years, uh, we've loved it. I've really enjoyed this time there has been good friends, fun times. You guys have supported us and encouraged us in harder moments. By far, though, are the best memories I'll take away with me. Are those moments where you see people cling to Jesus as their great consolation? I've seen it in heaps of different ways in you guys. I've seen people making hard decisions for Jesus. You know, breaking up with a partner because they think they can honor him more uh, outside of that relationship, even though there's this hard consequence with that. I've seen people go through some really hard times, unemployment, health issues, stressful conflicts. Spend so many times, I oh, that's tough. But yet in these moments, I've seen you guys, you've, you've found comfort in Jesus as your great consolation. And so you've kept pressing on. And so in four years uh, after college, we hope to be back in Adelaide. Who knows what God's got planned. But if we did, if we came back here, we'd love to see this happening still. People clinging to Jesus. But even more, we want to see it more, don't we, in each other? A whole community of people who are throwing themselves on the mercy of Jesus and rejoicing in this. Because just like Simeon, We know our eyes have seen God's salvation, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of God's people Israel. Let's pray together. Dear God, you're awesome, just but merciful. Thank you for this time we've been able to spend in your word. Thank you that Jesus is our great consolation not just for the Israelites, but for all of us. And that this was always your plan. Thank you that for all who trust in Jesus, he's a great savior. The one who through his death and resurrection brings us out of the darkness into a right relationship with you. Thank you, God, for this family here at Modbury. And um, I pray for all of us that we'll keep rejoicing in Jesus more and more as we cling to him. Amen.